Okay, so what time does the 7 o'clock meeting start? 7 o'clock. So welcome to New Freedom. Welcome to Position of Neutrality. For all of you joining us online, welcome. Who's in here in the room for the first time tonight? Oh, good. Some of you? Good deal. So, so first of all, welcome, and second, let us warn you in advance, you may perceive us a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you've ever been to. The primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a very different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years. We take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? The process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. And this was the original 12-step manuscript, so any 12-step fellowship was founded on the experience that these people had. So we go back to the source of the experience, hopefully to reveal the source that empowered these people's recovery for you. Make sense? But tonight, before we do it, we're going to do something we have never done. We have, a, we have an opportunity for people in this community to be a blessing to someone who desperately could use it and is deserving, and Chaplain Lee's going to explain that to you, and then we'll get on with what we're doing. Good evening, and I don't want to take up much time, but what I do want to do is be a blessing. And in this community, we know that in order to be blessed, we have to bless and something that we don't normally do, but we have one loved one that is um, in a time of despair right now, has uh, experienced a loved one, husband-to-be, have passed away, and here at uh, New Freedom, um, the Recovery Church, we, we wanted to come together and put something together to be able to be a blessing to our very own, Jennifer Green McGrath. And some of you all know Ranger who has passed away. Here she is coming. So she did not ask for this, but we thought it would be fitting if we would be able to bless her in doing this. So what we're going to do is, Wayne, if you'll come and assist, and Wayne is going to go around and anything that would help uh, that you're able to do would be a blessing to this lady and her family and to be able to move forward in life. I know it's hard time of year, this time of year, but just recognize that it's a hard time and she's experiencing a lot of loss right now. So anything you can do will be a blessing. Joe, you got it. Awesome. We also will be um, doing the same thing on Saturday night at the Recovery Church. So if you're not able to give now and you can come on Saturday, please come and support. Thank you for your understanding. We wanted to make sure we got that request in and gave everybody an opportunity. So without further ado, we're in steps eight and nine tonight. And I joked a little bit when I saw the room wasn't entirely full that perhaps people had heard that we were in steps nine tonight. But um, I, I, I only say that in jest because if you really understand the process we're in, step nine is what we're striving for because that's the freedom step. That's the fitness step, right? Those ninth step promises, we're going to know a new freedom, a new happiness, 
right? We're going we're gonna to actually start developing some spiritual fitness as a process. So we're going to start on page 76 of our book. Those of you who have a book to follow along. If you don't have a book to follow along, I guess you're going to take my word for it. Um, so we're in the middle of the page. It says, now we need more action without which we find that faith without works is dead. Anyone in the room recognize that phrase from another book? So those of you who know that phrase, that's a, that's a teaching from the book of James. And they weren't trying to give us a theology lesson here. They were trying to tell us something about the nature of the alcoholic, whether atheist or agnostic or a believer that's in a condemned state or feeling that they're in a condemned state, that we need to act our way into better thinking. So we're going to have to demonstrate our faith in this power by serving others, or indeed the faith is dead. We prove the power to us through us. Does that make sense? How many of you have been blessed with a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps since working with others? Do you not get a significant flow of the Spirit when you're helping somebody else and they finally receive it? Okay. Um, so then it says, we have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. So where did we get such a list? They said they, said they made it when they took inventory. So that aligns with your experience? Why do we call that to your attention? Because rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. Okay, so we subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. How many of you have started into your amends process? How many of you considered it drastic? How many of you looking forward to your amends step thinking, oh, that looks drastic? <laughs> so whatever step you're in, don't, don't stop in the step you're in looking forward. Get through the step you're in because the process will reveal power to you to move forward. Yeah? Okay, so now we go out to our fellows to repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which has caused our, which has accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. Anybody here recognize that perhaps you have been operating at least at times in self-will and tried to, tried to run the show yourself? Okay. Um, then it says, how many of you even though you knew that, weren't quite ready to let go of the steering wheel. Probably all of us, if we, raised our, if we looked inward, right? So what they said they did when they had those moments of doubt, if we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. So if you're not willing to do anything, at least pray, meditate, pray. Ask for willingness, act as if. Does that make sense? Okay. Then it says, remember, it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. And they put that in italics. With whom did we make that agreement? With God. We, they even told us it better, better meet God alone than with someone who might misunderstand. So, and I got a, an agreement by the time I said the seventh step prayer. That's why I said the amen. Yes? Now I knew what it looked like. So I am empowered. What I need to do is act like I know I'm empowered. True? How many of you have known you were empowered, still were afraid to move your feet? All of us, if we're honest. We got faith without works is dead. I know I'm empowered. I know who I am and whose I am. Now I got to go show others. Right? Okay. So it says probably there are still some misgivings. So I said all that pep talk to admit to you 
that in spite of what I can tell you, eh, not so much. Anybody know what they're talking about? Some misgivings. And then they describe what a misgiving looks like. As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel different about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. So that's what a diffidence might look like. How many of you had some rather nefarious business partners? Look at the crowd I'm talking to. So it may seem a bit far-fetched to go to them on a spiritual basis, yes? So what they say is, let us be reassured to some people we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. So what did they let us know in that little sentence? They might have been saying that. They might have been saying my reticence is, is spirit-led and I'm not, I would prejudice them. And they might have been, you know, any combination of that. But they told me it's only the first approach anyway. There's going to be more approaches. So a lot of people think the amends is I run up and get you to hear my I'm sorry's and I dash out the door. That's not the amends, right? The, the amends process is hearing what they would like for me to do to make it right and then seeking power to treat them as they've asked me to treat them, right? So I'm going to have many approaches and they'll see the demonstration of that power in my life eventually if they invite me to make right the wrong they perceive. Right? And if they don't, then my very act of staying away, because they said get out of my life and stay out of my life, my ability to do that when I've never been able to do that also demonstrates the power. Make sense? Okay. So then it goes on to tell us that, that we might prejudice them. At the moment, we're trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. So... This is a purpose step, it's a freedom step, it's a fitness step. How many of you have gotten into a fitness regime physically? Do you have to lift a little weight? So you're going to have to take the spirit out for a walk and lift some spiritual weights so that the ego comes down and you start living a spirit-led life. Right? Okay. So... It's seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we've gone religious. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. So any of you ever tried that? Been out there looking for God. Sure, sorry about your stereo. Hits with a thud, doesn't it? So... They go into the thought process. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bore? So we have some kind of thought like that. What will they think of me? Right? We may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message, but our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. Wouldn't you be? So what would a sincere desire to set right the wrong look like to you? Come up with a plan, maybe a payment and a plan, whatever the, if it's monetary, yeah, okay. He's going to be more interested in the demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. While you're out there looking for God, did you happen to find my damn stereo? Yeah? Okay. So we don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. 
When it will serve any good purpose, we're willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. So what's that look like? Yeah, they say when there's any good reason, so typically they're going to ask, or I'm going to be spirit-led to take the subject matter a little further, yeah? Any of you have been given credit for your sobriety, and you recognize that you had bloody nothing to do with your sobriety? And they go, wow, you're doing so good, and I go, God's doing so good. So the question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. That ever happened to any of y'all? Do you have anyone you hated? How many of you don't like the word hate? So for you, that means strongly disliked. You got, you got one now? Okay. All right, so it may be that he has done us more harm than we've done him, and though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we're still not too keen about admitting our faults. So now they've defined to us this band we hated or strongly disliked. It's entirely possible that they treated us worse than we treated them, but I'm not here to talk about how I was treated by them. I'm here to set right mine. Does that make sense? Okay. So nevertheless, with the person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. So they use a metaphor. Any of you get the metaphor? So it's kind of a Midwestern metaphor when the animal gets the bit in the teeth, you're going where the animal wants to go. That animal has now taken control of the situation. So if I have wrongs to right, I need to take control of the situation once I'm given permission to make the approach. Yes? Okay, that didn't mean I control their response or I control their out, you know. All I'm there to do is to, if they're willing to hear it, to direct the encounter, own it, and get on. Yeah? Okay. So then it goes on to tell us a little bit about that experience. It's harder to go to an enemy than to a friend. How many of you have discovered that? Sometimes because egoically, sometimes because of fear. Any of you been afraid of people? Maybe, maybe the things, the activities they're still involved in worry you about your own safety around them? Okay. So they said, but we find it much more beneficial to us. So even though it was harder, they found out eventually as they got fit in the process, they got a great deal more benefit from, we'll find that people that are supportive in our lives are great and they're a blessing, but some of the worst people in our lives taught us the best lessons. If you live long enough. (laughs) Right? Okay. So we go to them in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. So they gave us instruction there, and I always like people, if you're new to this, we go to them in a helpful and forgiving spirit. They've taught us loosely how to prepare to get into a helpful and forgiving spirit. But if I'm in fear, I'm not in a helpful and forgiving spirit. So I'm going to have to think how I'd like to be approached if the roles were reversed and I'm going to have to start praying and meditating on an ideal just like they told me back and how it works, yes? Get centered in the spirit because they're liable to tell me something about me that I do not want to hear. Okay? All right, so under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. So they want me spiritually prepared, then go to them in the spirit, and then remain fortified in the spirit so that I can take whatever I got coming. Make sense? Okay. 
So simply we tell them that we will never get over drinking until we've done our utmost to straighten out the past. So why am I going to them first and foremost? That's right, it's a selfish reason. I'm going to them because I need to save me from me. And I seem incapable of saving me from me. But I have encountered power because of these witnesses. I'm promised that this power will deliver me from me. Take, relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. But this is where I got to go get, get fit. I got to quit using these and start using the fists of the mind and start developing. Yes? Okay. So it says, simply we tell them we'll never get over drinking until we've done our utmost to straighten out the past. We're there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so, never trying to do, tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. Did you notice how many times they said the same thing? Do you think they had some trepidation in their walk? They either are describing how many times they fell short, or they're describing how many times they asked for willingness or something, aren't they? Because they said that six times, the same thing. Okay? But they got led us up to a promise. It said, if our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. Notice they didn't say if we are calm, frank, and open. They said if my manner was calm, frank, and open. How many of you have had a calm appearance in manner, but secretly... Had a little bit of stuff running down your leg. <laughs> so you're going to be exercising some faith, are you not? Right? But what is the old line? Never let them see you sweat. I'm there to own my stuff. I'm there to demonstrate the spirit in me. And the spirit in me is the creator of the world. And we are here to tell you who I am and whose I am. And that I will demonstrate to you that you can be treated better than you were treated, and I, I will be that demonstration for you. Right? Okay. So then it goes on to tell us that, that we will be gratified with the result. How many of you have made your approach and were not gratified with the result? How many of you called a sponsor, processed it, and in time got a certain sense of satisfaction? So in real time, you're still suffering from the, acid, the effects of the fear, so you, you give it some time, right? It, you, you may be gratified once you have time to process it. So in nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. That seems like pretty good odds. How many of you thought of all the scenarios that could go wrong when you went to make them amend? Did any of them happen? But in the worst case, I, my friend Jeff's here tonight, I mean... He came to PON right out of treatment and uh, was facing a case. And, you know, he probably thought through a lot about what could happen. And, well, you know what? Could happen, did happen. He went and did five years. But he's sitting here tonight. He's out. He survived. He carried the message of God's redemption all the way in there all those five years. Yeah. And he's, and he's fit today spiritually. I just bet. Okay. All right. So goes on to say, sometimes the man we're calling upon admits his own faults, so feuds of years standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. So the word rarely means what it sounds like. It doesn't happen very often, and we usually lack perspective. So 
Make time and see. Um, it says that our former enemies sometimes praise what we are doing and wish us well. Any of you ever had that experience? Where people are just so glad to see you doing something different? Okay. So occasionally they'll offer assistance. You ever had anyone offer to help? Most of us that have screwed up in front of an employer when we came clean, the employer offered to help. True? Okay. So it should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We've made our demonstration, done our part. It's water over the dam. So I went there to make the demonstration. Uh, I had a friend who used to say, look, in AA, our amends and our message is like delivering the mail. You just pretend you're the mailman. You deliver the mail. You don't wait to see if they like what it says. All right? So you, do, you go and you make your demonstration, and then they'll receive it or not receive it. Make sense? Okay, so then it goes on to say, most alcoholics owe money. Most addicts of most any stripe owe money. Anyone get here not owing money? I've only met one in lots of years that said he didn't owe money. I, I think he's delusional. <laughs> but we do not dodge our creditors. Telling them what we're trying to do, we make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think so or not. So check that out. How many of you thought you were pulling that act off when you finally admitted your addiction? You made it unanimous? It's like, how did you know? <laughs> so, nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism and the theory that it may cause financial harm. So I would like you to look at that. We're not afraid of disclosing our alcoholism to someone to whom I owe an amends because I probably already ran the risk of creating financial harm. But if you're just going around telling everybody you're an alcoholic just to sort of clear the decks and you don't owe them that explanation, I can assure you it will cause you financial harm. Because those other people out there, are not, they're not required to understand this condition and that I'm redeemed or any of that. But the, the person I owe amends to, I need to own to them that I know that I treated you bad and here's why. Right? Okay. So, approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal we can, we let these people know we're sorry. So, how would we let them know we're sorry? Admitting that we're wrong, maybe having a plan, maybe having a plan that we can keep going forward, yeah? yeah? So our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far down, how far we have to go for we're liable to drink if we're afraid to face them. How many of you have gotten crushed under financial difficulty and found out how difficult it was to open the door, answer the phone, check the mail? How long can we live in fear like that? That's true. You don't know really, do you? You don't know really. How comfortable is it? it yeah, see, can, so it's an idea. How free do you want to be? At what point do you want to face it, right? Okay, so perhaps, I love that for this room, perhaps we've committed a criminal offense, which, which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. 
We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We have already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we're sure we'd be in prison or lose our job if it were known. So what is the likelihood in our circles if I don't do it because I'm afraid of being imprisoned in my past history? If I let it go long enough, I'm probably going to be imprisoned anyway. True? Or something, if I live that long. Any of you... Any of you use like me? Like, I don't want to do that because I might lose my car. Then when I quit going to work and I don't pay for that fucking car, they come get it anyway. Okay. Okay, so maybe it's only a petty offense such as padding the expense account. Many of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we're divorced and have remarried but haven't kept up the alimony, number one. She's indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble, too. So they're talking about domestic disputes, all the things that can happen if you've never had any of those situations, and we have to take a look at what situations we do have. So they're going to get into that, too, for people who are, well, that's not me, that's not me. The idea is not to find out what I'm not. The idea is to find out what I am, and then ultimately who I am, and then ultimately whose I am, right? Okay, so... Although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. So would it be helpful, given that we could all have different reparations to make, but there are general principles that will guide us regardless of the reparations we have to make? So, so should we read the book? Because we could go ask people in the meeting, and they might know. Who, who's we? The first 100, every room we ever go into where they got the we admitted we were powerless, no one in that room is the we. Regardless of their opinion and what worked for them, it doesn't matter. It's not what worked for millions. That's in the book. That make sense? Okay. So reminding ourselves that we've decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience, did you know that's what we were doing? What is that spiritual experience? That's right, the awakening. The goal of 12-step recovery, if all you ever did was go to meetings, you would think it was abstinence. But if you read this book and you do these principles, you will find that the goal of 12-step recovery is to wake up, and the byproduct of that is what looks like abstinence, but it's not its spiritual inebriation. It's ease and comfort in the world without going out in the world to get it. So says that we ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. Don't ask for your circumstances to be removed. Ask for power to move through your circumstances, because your circumstances are preparing you for your destiny. Make sense? Okay. We may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. Wait a minute. Why would they be willing to lose their position or their reputation or face jail? Because I've already lost all that crap. Right? I've already done that once. How many of you have had your identification, who you were in the world, taken for you more than once? How many of you have played a significant role in that loss of identity? So if we could take you out of the equation, it'd be better, right? Which is why I'd want to be relieved of the bondage of self. Yes? Okay. So we have to be, we must not shrink at anything. Usually, however, other people are involved. So now they're going to talk to us about that mysterious other. Except when to do so would injure them 
or you or, or them or others, right? So we've had people falsely teach over the years that you are others and no, you're not. You have your own column, you're you, and then there's the people you've harmed, and then there's others indirectly or directly harmed as a result of whatever happened. How many of you have done an inventory and have seen that even though maybe you were, had difficulty in a marriage and you behaved badly in a marriage, there was collateral damage with children and family? And any of you seen that? So all those people are others, the new employers, others, the, right, the AA club. Any of, you, any of you ever belonged to a home group and got the coffee maker job? Yeah. Any of you ever twist off and not make it? Okay, so there are others, right? Any of you ever take the seventh tradition because you're a little short for that bump you needed on the... Okay, the, the whole group is others. Okay, all right, so... So we may lose our position and reputation or face jail, but we are willing, we have to be, we must not shrink at, at anything. Usually, however, other people are involved. Therefore, we're not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. A man we know had remarried. Because of resentment and drinking, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, had secured a position, and was getting his head above water. How many of you have done that? Starting to get it together, and then some past charge, some past thing came up. Can be a real buzzkill, can it? Okay, so this is, this is a real-time example of that exact thing happening. So then it says, it would have been impressive heroics if he'd walked up to the judge and said, here I am. It would have been impressive heroics, wouldn't it? But if you're trying to grow spiritually, are you really about impressive heroics? I mean, if that's what you perceive, fine, but the reality is, if I'm trying to just go prove a point, then that's probably the wrong motive. Maybe I should see if there's another way, right? Biblically, we should make an effort before we go to the altar to set right the wrongs and then go to the altar, yeah? Okay, so... We thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary, but if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. So my, what I'm thinking is this profound act of heroic, heroism is depriving both families. So, so no one went. Does it make sense? And luckily, you have a sponsor or somebody like that that will help you process that and see if there's an alternative. And then if you have to go, you have to go, but at least everyone's aware, Right? So he suggested he write his first wife, admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did, and he also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would try and do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. And then I'm going to stop there. What do you think would be the most profound to somebody you are approaching? The honest admission? The asking for forgiveness, the money, the promise to pay. Any of those resonate with you? How about the fact that he was willing to do all of that and none of that was to get out of trouble with her if she insisted I'm still willing to go to jail? Would that be a profound change? That's what any links might look like. So what, that's what he did and what it says is of course she did not. Do you imagine he didn't know? Of course she did not. Do you manage his manner was calm, but he had a little stuff running down his legs? And the whole situation has long since been adjusted. 
Before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. So just a simple guiding principle. If, if my family, my second family, my employer is going to be affected by the outcome of the approach I'm about to make, I, I owe them the dignity of asking. Why? Isn't that just different behavior for us? When I needed dope, I didn't consult. Sorry, you're not going to eat this week, kids. I didn't even give them a pass, right? What do you mean they need new shoes? It was six years ago. We just replaced them. Um, if we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, ask God to help, and the drastic step is indicated, we must not shrink. They said that in a way that we would somehow know. How many of you have known that a drastic step was indicated? In your core of your being, you knew. See how they're talking about sensory effects? Okay. This brings to mind a story about one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as the basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. Have you ever done anything like that? How many of you guys were like handymen that went to do a little job, but you need a little front money? And you did it while you were drinking? And somehow the evaporative rate of that money in your possession was more than you wanted to account for? That ever happened to anyone else? I'm the only some bitch ever did that. Huh? Okay. So it says he felt he'd done a wrong that he could not possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? There's a question mark. Anytime they put a question mark in this book, they want us to go inward. Because eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. So now I'm going to get guidance, right? So what right do I have? None without their permission, right? Because that's a guiding principle. How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? I'm going to have to get guidance, right? They said this power is going to come to me as power, peace, happiness, a sense of direction. I have no way of knowing how many people because I defrauded the whole church community, right? You know, I didn't told you this whole story. This guy was supposed to give him the money for the church fund, but he was drinking, and so he denied having received the money, and so the church was deprived of the money, and the guy's reputation was ruined because he claimed he was given a donation to the church and Kat spent it on alcohol. Right? So you can see he was one of the early Oxford group members, didn't like recovery AA, he stayed with his church family, and so now they're describing what's going on with him. So he's going to have to do some meditation to find out how he could possibly make it right, right? So after consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion it was better to take those risks than stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. So you can see why he, he had a religious leaning and he needed to check with the wife and everybody because this was going to be detrimental to the family's reputation and the finances. Make sense? They're, t they're painting a picture of what any links might look like to us. He saw that he had to place the out outcome in God's hands or he'd soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. He attended church for the first time in many years, and after the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. 
So think about what any link said. Any of you ever had a church family that you sort of behaved less than Christ-like in? I'm just assuming Christian. I mean, you could be whatever. But my point is sometimes our own embarrassment will keep us from the very healing we need because we won't. Any of you done that in recovery? Behaved badly in recovery, desperately needed the fellowship of recovery, desperately needed the principles and the power found within us in recovery, but we stayed away because of the embarrassment. Anyone else? Okay, so that's what's going on with him. But he, he did make this, got up in front of the congregation and he admitted what he had done. And just put himself on them. And what that said is his action met widespread approval. And today he's one of the most trusted citizens of his town. And then it says this all happened years ago. So what they're trying to show us, these common alcoholics, these people that were people bearing witness in this book, he went from the thief of the church fund to the most trusted citizen in town through the power of God. Does that make sense? It's a pretty profound demonstration, right? Okay. So the chances are that we have domestic troubles. Anybody? You have domestic? Perhaps we're mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. Or men, or whatever. We're not really sexist here. This is an old text. Come on, I'm in a crowd where I know some of you are in relationships with men and women you wouldn't care to have advertised. Want to know how I, I, hey man, if the shoe fits. But I'm talking more to the people that I spend my days with and they forget I got cameras. Um. We doubt if in this respect alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. So how many of you have figured that out? Where's my meth addicts? That methamphetamine complicates sex relations in the home? <laughs> Looks like a game of Twister, don't it? <laughs> it's complicated. Janine knows. <laughs> All right. After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How many of you recognize that with your significant other? Worn out, resentful, uncommunicative? They're showing you what my eyesight sees, and then they're going to show me how I get out of that perspective and start getting into a helpful and forgiving spirit. So watch what they do next. How could she be anything else? Given what's been presented, how could she be anything other than worn out, resentful, and uncommunicated? And can you get your head around that? They're getting me to see. See, my eyes are not seeing how she's behaving, my eyes are actually seeing how I'm feeling. And I'm projecting it outward, right? All right, so the husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. How many of you have been there? Had a little damage in the house, and cleaning it up seems like an awful lot of work. (laughs) I think I'll go find some company. Anyone? Okay. Okay. He commences to look around the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. Any of you relate to that? Christie's Cabaret. John has a destination in mind. Okay, so perhaps he's having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. Have any of you met him or her? 
the one who understands. Okay, in fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? So, inward again. Are we really in the search for her understanding? Or are we in the search for the truth about me? And the truth about me got nothing to do with her level of understanding. Right? Okay. So a man so involved often feels very remorseful at times. How many of you can relate to that? Especially if he's married to a loyal and courageous girl who's literally gone through hell for him. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. So they're talking about what they usually have to do. But if you're feeling convicted in your own spirit, you're probably going to have to move your way out of that conviction, right? Because you're going to have to receive the grace you've already received, but then start getting rid of the pomp, worship, and calamity in your life that's obscuring your consciousness of who you are. Yeah? Okay. So if we're sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Another question mark. No. No. We got two no's. There's a clause, if we're sure. If we're sure she does not know, should we tell her? Well, that'd be a good, that'd be a good second question. How sure? I was pretty sure she didn't know about my addiction, too. <laughs> Missed that one by a mile. So it says not always we think if she knows in a general way that we've been wild. Should we tell her in detail? That's a pretty clear no. Why? Have you been told in detail? Who's been told in detail? Was that more of an image than you really wanted? Okay. So it may not be an act of kindness to give detail even when they ask for it because it's entirely possible that detail will be harder to get out of your mind than... And, okay. Undoubtedly, she should, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She'll want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. How many of you have felt that you should say one thing and lacked the power to carry that out? <laughs> so this is how you're going to know you're getting more spiritually fit because you'll be able to hold your mud in difficult situations. And when you can't, why well, then you'll get to stand at the podium and tell somebody what happened. Okay, so... We're sorry for what we've done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further, though there may be justifiable exceptions. See, there's always a clause for guys like me, a justifiable exception. Any of you ever found a justifiable exception to doing the right thing? Come on, look at the room I'm in. Of course we have found a justifiable exception to doing the right thing. That's how we get here, right? Okay. Um, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we've often found this the best course to take. So what they're saying is don't beat yourself up. If you have a justifiable exception, take it for a run, see what happens. But what they found out was the best course would have been the direct course. That's what they learned. Any of you learned that it would have been better to do it another way after you did it the other way? So we're embracing our human condition and we're acknowledging the grace we've experienced to this point because even though it seemed insurmountable, here we are. Right? Okay. So our design for living is not a one-way street. You guys got to get it. We always 
try and preach to you. This is not a workbook exercise. I don't know, care how many people have put it in a workbook for you. It is a manner of living, a design for living, a relevant manner of living for people who suffer from the addiction of control. Okay? So it is as good for the wife as for the husband. If we can forget, so can she. I recommend that you not point that out. <laughs> unless you want to have a little clever story to tell from the podium. It's good to let them discover that on their own. It's better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can vent jealousy. The reason we discovered the best path was a direct path, because the minute I start giving them all the information they want, that deflects to somebody else, and I'm the one that did the wrong to both. Right? Okay. So perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. How will we know that? We'll just know. You'll know from the inside, right? Okay. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. And then it says it may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. How many of you have been harmed by others or done harm to others but decided to move past it and grow together? That's what they learned too. Okay. So each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. Keep it always in sight that we're dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk face-to-face -face combat. So they do a lot of metaphor telling us don't confront people that are suffering from our injustice to them because no one wants to be told how they should think or feel. Have you ever been told how you, you shouldn't think that way? Did it help? No, I know I shouldn't think this fucking way but I'm powerless to think any other way, right? Have you ever had anyone tell you that? You know, okay, so we're not gonna do that. We're gonna continue to empower, try and get empowered to show patience, kindness, tolerance, love, yes? Okay, if we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. How many of you found there were some things that you could do around the house after a good run? <laughs> if there was a house, right? Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. You ever heard that? Is that true? Think about that as an addict. Is the only thing I need to do is stay sober? The only thing I need to do is stay clean. Think about that. How many of you got clean before? How many of you got twisted off again? Well, then if the only thing you need to do is the one thing you've demonstrated you can't do, you're in deep trouble. Okay. All right, so certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't, but he's yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he's so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us who would have no homes today would perhaps be dead. Can you relate to that? Okay. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. How many of you can relate to that? Sweet relationships are dead. What do you need to gain access to in the face of a dead relationship? 
You're going to need some resurrection power, aren't you? You're going to find out how real those biblical teachings are, aren't you? How many of you have come back from the dead in your own life? There you go. Those of you that don't know it, any of you relate to just walking around like a dead person in your addiction? What happened? Got out, huh? Came out of that grave. All right. So we feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. Hey, you guys ever go to one of those meetings where they say, hey, can someone pick a topic? Pick that one. We feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. What do you think about that? Listen to the opinions you get on that. Of course sobriety is enough. Not for me. I hate abstinence. I can't live absent. I'm dependent. Nothing changed about my dependency. I just switched what I'm dependent on. They didn't try and cure my alcoholism. They told me I could get a better drug. I'm, good. I'm hip to better drugs, man. Okay. So he's like the father, farmer who came out of the cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand? The wind stopped blowing. Any of you relate? Okay. Yes, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead, and we must take the lead. Who's we? The first 100, and now me, if I'm going to thoroughly follow their path. Yeah? Okay. So a remorseful mumbling that we're sorry won't fill the bill at all. So the amends is never about saying you're sorry, although that may be a component, but we say we're sorry for things we're clearly not sorry for. How many of you have said, sorry to interrupt, but... (laughs) So clearly we're not sorry. So I need a demonstration. That makes sense? Faith without works is dead. So we ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it. How do I see it now? I've done an inventory now. I've seen my part. I've seen how my resentments are killing me. Even the ones that hurt me and I didn't have anything to do with that. The fact that I'm hating them so bad is still killing me. Have you seen that? Okay, being very careful not to criticize them. So I'm not there to talk about what they did to me. I'm there to get somehow through me some unforgiveness out of me. Yes? And I'm incapable of that. Humans do not forgive. I know we teach people you've got to forgive yourself. That's nonsense. You've got to believe in the one he sent. Forgiveness is already bought for you. The way has been made. Um, their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. So if I ask the Creator every morning as a part of my prayer life to show me the way of patience, kindness, tolerance, and love, then anything that is not that is not the way. It's going to help me in my discipline, yes? Okay. So the spiritual life is not a theory. Why do they say that? Because for some of us, we think it is. Have you ever kind of acted, pretended to go along, and then all of a sudden got an got in contact with some real power and realized, whoa, that's what they're talking about. So I really got to do this because I'm going to have a growing dependence on something. I'm either going to be a growing dependence on the world, and I'm going to be restless, irritable, and discontent, or I'm going to have a growing dependence on God, and I'm going to know the victory's already won, and I'm not going to get restless about anything. 
Does that make sense? Okay. So we have to live it, it says, in italics. So it's not, you know, work it because you're worth it. Live it because he's worth it. They're worth it, right? I now live for others, right? Everything you thought was a waste is going to avert suffering for everyone else you ever meet if you'll just serve. Got it? Okay. So the spiritual life's not a theory. You have to live it unless one's family ex- expresses a desire to live on spiritual principles. We think we ought not urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. They'll change when they see the demonstration. They see the effects, right? And then it says, our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. There may be some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would right them if we could. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. And there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if it can be avoided. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. So in closing, rather than getting into the promises, because we'll start next week in the Ninth Step Promises, I'm going to tell you what they mean. Some of you have been here before you know, but I, I, one profound experience of this for me was a man by the name of Black Wally, who was a local legend. And I knew him back in the 80s, and I would go to the jails with him. I'd just hang out with him because he was that kind of a person. You wanted to hang out with him. And we went around, did 12-step calls, and we went to the jails, and we did all this stuff. And then I had one of my disappearing acts, and uh, I was gone for a decade, because I don't take it lightly when I disappear. I get the fuck out of town. And uh, it's a true story. And uh, so when I get back, I'm thinking as I'm going through the amends, I need to go find old Wally and make amends for doing that to him, leaving my, you know. And uh, anyway, I found that he had passed. So I don't worry about it, and I get in prayer, and one day I'm sitting in the courtyard of a halfway house and I'm taking a young man through the steps because I used to just sit in the courtyard and anyone that needed to go through the steps, I took him through the steps because I desperately needed freedom and I knew that if I was thinking of them, I wasn't thinking of me and it was what I did. And I'm sitting there and I'm going through a four-step and I find out that I am sitting across from Black Wally's grandson. Cool stuff, right? Did you feel that? That's the power we call God. Thanks, we'll see you next week.